rot, 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 blind man would see a here's the bubbles here's the leak and b the tires are dry rotted and cracked deep in the treads and they need to be replaced and they shouldn't have been sold on a certified used car the car doctor you put a tire with air into the tire tank you inflate it to 35 pounds you look for bubbles it leaks hey there's the leak guess what we'll fix it Boy, this isn't hard, and you'll get paid to do this. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... Hi, come on in, sit down. Ron and Haney and the Car Doctor here at your service, 855-560-9900. That's 855-560-9900, the phone number to get your car question answered by me, Ron and Haney and the Car Doctor. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. Also, you'll find links there to tunein.com, iheart.com, iTunes.com, all ways that you can podcast and subscribe to this radio show by various means and formats and take the car doctor with you on your device, whatever that might be, wherever you want it to go. I guess I have to start this week's show by saying it like this, and she'll understand it when she hears her name. Janet, this one's for you. 2008, Ford Taurus came into the shop this week at RE Automotive with a complaint. A, a buck and a chuggle and a surge, and a hesitation. All four things at once, at various speeds, at 30, at 40, at 50, at 60. It just didn't run right. It ran bad on Monday. That's what her note said, because there was only a couple of things wrong with it, and she described them to me over a page and a half. It ran bad on Monday. Ran a little better on Tuesday. By Wednesday, the problem was gone. The appointment was set for Thursday. So I looked at it on Thursday. No more check engine light, no code in history, nothing. So now I'm working in the dark. It's easy to work when you've got information. Now you've got to become a forensic mechanic. You feel like you're NCIS or something like that. So I looked at it. I went into Mode 6 data, and I could see looking at Mode 6, which is the information behind the scenes, the information that generates fault in the computer you you know when you get up in the morning if you've got a sore throat your throat feels sore it's telling your brain hey you got a sore throat stay in bed gargle salt water that kind of thing mode six is is sort of like the sore throat information for the car It, it tells the computer the last time it ran various tests on various components and circuits pass fail or marginal and to what extent the throat was sore to what extent the numbers were starting to count up you can look at Mode 6 on various tools, and, and, and sometimes it's just numbers. Sometimes the preferred value is zero, and you'll have a value of 235. Now, maybe the code doesn't trip for whatever that circuit or component is that it's testing until it hits 700, 
but you know something is going on. You've got 235 somethings there where there should be zero. When I looked at Janet's Taurus, I could see in Mode 6 data, she had two of the six cylinders showing nominal misfires. One was in the 1 to 200 range, one was in the 75 to 80 range. Enough to annoy it, enough to make it make a difference, enough to make me say, hey, let's go take a look at this. Problem was, there wasn't anything to look at beyond that until I pulled a spark plug. You know what? Janet's Janet's a great customer. I see her, I think, once a year. And it's usually triage. It's usually rebuild the car kind of stuff. It's, it's I can't convince her to come in on a regular basis. She prefers to come in when it breaks, just fix it, and then kind of go on her way. And I get it. She's got a busy schedule. And I, I just, it's just, it's funny because J.S., her husband, it's like, you know, you never come between a husband and a wife when it comes to anything, especially auto repair. J.S. is the other end of the extreme. J.S. wants to maintain the car where Janet wants to just drive it when it breaks, fix it. And I know they're out there listening today, and I hope this doesn't cause them to come to blows. If not, we'll have to get them over to one of the other national syndicated radio shows with marriage and family counseling, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, J.S. maintains it. Janet drives it. J.S. drives it, too, but two different scenarios. J.S.'s fusion, we talked about this about a year and a half ago, you and I, here on air, where he was driving along a major interstate, and the car just dropped dead, pulled over to the side of the road, had a tow to the shop. Turned out that two of the six ignition coils, same thing, a 2008 Fusion, same engine, same configuration, two of the six ignition coils had melted through, had cracked along the tower where they go down inside the cylinder head tube, shorted, and caused a draw and a misfire problem that it actually also damaged the vehicle PCM after it blew the main fuse for the PCM for the powertrain control module. The remedy? Well, had we fixed it, it would have been six coils and a PCM. But barring not wanting to do that because he had, I don't know, some crazy amount of mileage on the car, it became a case of replace the car. Janet's got less mileage. Janet's just turned 115,000 on her on her 2008 Taurus. So she goes less mileage, but she does less maintenance. And my conversation with her after I pulled the plug, one plug, I had the story right there. The plugs normally are gapped at 55 thousandths, so it's about, oh, that big. Janet's spark plug, the one that I pulled, was over 80 thousandths. It was off the chart, basically. They were worn so badly. I said, let's start with spark plugs. You know, it, it comes down to the point where with regards to spark plugs, at 115,000, they're doing the 90 to 100,000-mile mark. You're way past that. It's time to put plugs in it. And with the known failure, with the known problems that these cars have for ignition coils, because the same bulletin that applied to John applied to Janet, may need a coil or two. Definitely needs boots. She agreed. Pulled the whole thing apart. Did six coils. Four of the six were showing signs of arcing. Did six coils, six plugs. Is the car fixed? I don't know. I know it's got right spark plugs in it. I know it's got good ignition coils in it. I know that as far as maintenance, as far as the ignition system is concerned, the car is up to date. Interesting to note, and I always kind of take a mental picture whenever I, I do repairs like this, to do Janet's spark plugs on a 3.5 Ford V6, you have to pull the upper intake plenum off. 
and I took some pictures with my borescope, and we're going to keep track of it because I could see some carbon deposits forming on the intake valves. And I can see that the misfire, and maybe it's the lack of maintenance, maybe it's the, it's, it's the minimal amount of carbon cleaning and fuel system service, and that's showing its age. But I'm starting to keep track because carbon cleaning and fuel system deposits are going to become a bigger issue going forward. We've talked about this in year 2017 when EPA does away with gasoline detergents and additives. But my point is, the maintenance brought the car up to date. Did it fix the car? No. Well, maybe. Well, we'll have to drive it and see. And that's really the right answer. Because the bottom line becomes, not maintaining a car only invites the gremlins to come along at a much higher cost. By the time we got done doing the repair of the total bill, and I have to point out, too, the, the, the heat had failed. She had no blower operation, and she needed heat, obviously, we're in winter, and when we got done with that, I also repaired the Blendor actuator that was clicking and clacking for the past couple of years because that had reached the point of complete failure. She needed a blower motor. She needed an actuator, the blower motor controller, the number one failure on this particular generation Ford Taurus and Fusion. The blower motor controller was also replaced. She had a bill of about $2,400. A lot of money? Yeah. Worth fixing? Yeah. Would maintenance have saved her from having to do all that? Well, the blower and the the actuator, no. It's going to be broken. It's going to happen. The ignition stuff, the maintenance, would have saved her on some diagnosis. But the bigger picture is the long-term damage. And that's really where this conversation is going between you and I today as we kick off this hour of the car doctor. It's really about the maintenance. Janet said, well, I just like bringing it in all at once and let you fix it, and then I can just go on my way and I don't have to stop in between. But it's those in-between stops that help you take better care of the car. You know, it's like raising children. You wouldn't feed your kid once on Tuesday and then feed it again six months later and say, well, you had two good meals this year. I hope you can make do in between because the kid just wouldn't respond well. (laughs) Same thing about the automobile. The automobile responds to that maintenance much the way a human being does. And in the end, the more maintenance and the more care you give it, typically both the better vehicle and the better person you surely get. Something to think about. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. And by no stretch of the imagination am I saying Janet's not a good mom. I should clarify that. Janet's a great mom. I've seen her with her kids. She's one of the best moms I know. Um, I've just got to get. I've just got to get her to be a better automobile maintainer, and I say that with love. And I know, like I said, I know she's out there listening today. I just want to point that out. That um, uh, you know, I've got to get to see her on a more regular basis because it's going to be easier for her in the long run, and consequently easier for us. And the bills will get cheaper. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ron Anning, the Car Doctor. I'll return right after this to open the garage doors. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900 is the Car Doctor 24-7 phone number. That's 855-560-9900. Call. Call right now. We're live on the air. And if we're not, 
live on the air. If you're getting this on delayed broadcast or podcast, 855-560-9900. There's a 24-7 messaging service, and the gentleman I'm about to talk to next will be glad to pick up the phone and call you back if you leave a message, and we'll get you up here in queue for our next broadcast. Uh, what do you say there, FH? How was your week? Uh, my week was good. Yeah, you're looking good this week. Yeah, I look um, good every week. Are you? Uh, you always say that, and I always believe you because I love you. Are you? Um, are you all ready for? Uh, I keep meaning to ask you. Are you all ready for uh, Saturday, March nineteenth, for the big deal? What's that? Oh, we didn't tell you. No, you didn't get the memo. No, we're going on remote. Oh, we're going on remote. Yeah, about a month. Yeah, where's that going to be? Uh, we're going down to the Meadowlands Exposition Center in Secaucus, New Jersey, for the AASP New Jersey thirty ninth annual Northeast Automotive Services Show at the uh, Meadowlands Exposition Center, Secaucus. So and, uh, and, and the best part about that is, uh, I guess I'll take you out to eat afterwards. There you go. So can we send Harry on a remote from the remote? No, we can't do that. So we have to take care of Harry. We love Harry. Got to feed Chubby. You know? Got to feed Chubby. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, that's well, right. Not Chubby anymore. Schvelt. Not Chubby anymore. Schvelt. Schvelt. So, so anyway, but uh, yeah, for everybody else, we'll be out there at the uh, Northeast Automotive Services show. That show runs Friday, March 18th through Sunday, March 20th, at the Meadowlands Exposition Center. If you are an automotive professional and you want to see what's going on in your industry, that is the place to be. And we'll be down there doing a live broadcast on the, let's see, that's going to be Saturday the 19th. And uh, we're looking forward to that live show time, 2 to 4 p.m. What do you got for me right here, Harry? Uh, George is on the phone. He's in Westchester County, New York. He's got a 93 Mazda, and he's smelling gas inside the car, which sounds like it could be a problem until you tell him about the charcoal canister. Okay. Um, is it is it Frank or George? I have, uh, Frank. It's Frank. I have oh, Frank, Frank. I have Frank on the screen. Oops. Oops. So that's an oopsie. Okay. All right. Go have a seat, so Harry. I wanted to get a little information about this. Let's see, Frank. What can I do for you? Okay. It's a Mazda, and it's got about 150,000 miles, 93. And every once in a while, I get gas fumes. Sometimes it's so bad that I got to get out of the car. Okay. And it's inconsistent. Um, it, it, it'll go for months, uh, maybe, you know, like a half a year, and then it, it'll be a different degree. Sometimes it'll be real heavy. Sometimes it's real light. Now, is that, char- that charcoal canister, does that need to be replaced every so often? You know, in theory, no, but we're dealing with something that's, let's do the math, 93, 2003, 2013. <laughs> it's 25 years old. So, yeah. you know, the canister's kind of saturated. But what I would also be thinking about is it's 25 years old, this 93 Mazda 929. What does the undercarriage look like? How much rust is there? What does the fuel tank look like? What does the fuel filler neck look like? And uh, the area it, in and around it. Looks it looks very good. Um, you know, I'm under there occasionally, you know, every three months. So the the undercarriage... Uh, and uh, surprisingly, it looks amazing. Okay. Then, you know, I like the idea of the canister because that's located down under in the back corner. What I would suggest you could do if your mechanic has a five-gas emissions analyzer, you know, the old tailpipe probe? Yeah. Maybe park the car up on his lift one day, let everything settle, and take the emissions analyzer and walk around with it. You know, use the wand as a sniffer. And see if it picks up hydrocarbons anywhere, and oh, s- see what it does. Okay. If it if it if in the area of the canister hydrocarbons tend to go off the wall, wouldn't be the worst idea. 
Really? Yeah, wouldn't be the worst idea. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah, you can use that. You can use that five gas for more than just what God intended it to sniff things out of the tailpipe. You can find a lot of things. Oh, uh, that, well, that's good to know. With that emissions probe. What's your second question, Frank? Uh, it, it's, it had to do with the, uh, a mouse getting underneath my timing belt cover. Okay. And it happened once before, but we did the timing belt, and the mechanic says, well, you have a mouse building nest. Not a problem. Didn't, nothing happened. But this time, he built a pretty good nest uh, was in the, you know, uh, a few months ago, and the cold weather was there. It looked like he had quite a bit of debris, and it jumped, uh, it jumped the, uh, the tooth, and it was, uh, it was a mess. So your question to me is, had the mouse get under the cover? Yes. Mice, I actually know this answer. I believe I know this answer. Um, How can they find that spot? Well, because a mouse, if I'm not mistaken, and I believe I also saw this on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, and um, it was one of those science questions the kids answered, in yeah. that a mouse has a skeletal system that allows it to compress into the teeniest, tiniest places. Yes, uh, if they can get their head in, yep. the same with a rabbit, yep. they they're, can do the same thing. They're in. And they're in. somewhere along the way, it, it found an opening whether it be at the top of the cover and it worked its way down, or whether it was at the bottom and it just ended up where it ended up. Do you drive the car all the time, Frank? Is it, does the car sit? Yeah, the car is driven every day. And that's what we couldn't understand. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, because, you know, the car is moved, and then it's there, and then it's not, then it's hot, and then, uh, yeah, it, it, just, it just didn't make any sense. Somewhere along the way, Mickey decided he was going to hang out with you for a little while longer. And, well, uh, the neighbor's cat decided to hang around on the wall when the car came back from the shop, and I saw no no more debris on top of the manifold. And all of a sudden, you know the mouse is gone. Yeah, so you know. You know the yeah. only thing the only thing you could try if you want to keep critters out of a, any particular place on an automobile, it, you know, and it's it, it, it we do I do talk about from time to time mothballs in a plastic bag and an ice pick and make the holes. But that's a smell, and sometimes that's annoying. The second method that is showing some promise, go out to Amazon and Google Honda rodent tape. Honda Motor Car has come out with a tape. It looks like a roll of electrical tape. That, oh, really? That, and it, it has a pepper taste to it, and it's very sharp. So if you Google Honda rodent tape, and then you can put it wherever you want, around the wiring harness, around the openings to the timing cover, etc. Your imagination is the only thing that limits your use. They don't like that. They won't be able to, you know, chew their way through it, and it will keep them out and obviously end your problem. So you can try that as well. Frank, good talking to you. Hey, to everybody up there in Westchester, New York, I'm running Andy in the car, Doctor Matt Eaton, Denso, spark plugs, everything you want to know. Coming up next. Hey, welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. You know, we've been talking a lot lately about spark plugs, the, the hows and the whys and better performance and all the things that you can get from spark plugs. And we thought to help answer some of your questions that we're also getting back in kind, we would turn to the experts in this particular area, the folks from Denso. Once again, we're going to reach out to Matt Eaton. He is a product manager over at Denso, and um, we're glad to have him here with us today. Matt, welcome back, sir. Thanks. Glad to be here. 
Um, better performance for a spark plug, Matt. You know, what are the keys for the listeners out there? What are what are some of the things they need to know? Well, the real key to better performance is to minimize the interference of the spark so it can grow unhindered. That that's really the point is to get things out of the way. Um, the older style plugs have very bulky electrodes. And in some cases, even multiple electrodes. Um, that's not something you see on on spark plugs these days. It's, it's very well understood that that is not a a good configuration for a spark plug. So you, you mean? Uh, and these electrodes actually absorb the sparks energy and reduce combustion efficiency and performance. And uh, so yeah, you don't you don't want to have a whole lot of metal down there. Um, our iridium TT uh, uses a twin tip concept, which is unique. And it minimizes the interference of the spark because the iridium center electrode tip is only 0.4 millimeters. And that's the world's smallest uh, electrode, by the way. And uh, the ground is only 0.7 millimeters. So that needle-to-needle or twin tip design is what makes it unique. So for people thinking that, you know, the, the skinny tip, so to speak, is, is, is fragile, it's, what you're saying is less is more. It's we're, we're we're taking away the size of the electrode, and we're able to, I guess, maybe concentrate the spark to a to a, a more exact location, and that creates a better combustion process. Fair statement. Yeah, that's a fair statement. I think uh, there's a number of things at play. Um, obviously, uh, the point is to reduce the amount of material, and that that interference doesn't absorb the energy, um, but that density. And in iridium, because it's the, it's the densest metal on Earth. Well, it's actually the second, but the point is, for uh, for, for manufacturing purposes, it's the, it's the densest we can use, and um, and that density um, makes it last longer. So you can make it smaller. Uh, it, it resists corrosion and oxidation better than any other metal, and this means that you know we can design these small electrodes that perform better and yet still last far longer than the conventional spark plug. When you say Better, Matt. You talk about better performance. Is there a tangible benefit the listener is going to experience as a result of this? Yeah, when we say uh, better performance, we really mean better combustion. And you want that efficient combustion. You know, you want to um, you want to burn as much of the air fuel mixture as possible, and that's going to translate to more power, torque, and even fuel economy. Gotcha. So, going back for a second, you had said that iridium is 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 the better tipped spark plug uh to use your words um the vast majority of vehicles today come equipped with iridium but you know iridium over copper and platinum platinum still not as good as iridium yeah that's right uh the platinum that was a a, a material used in the late 80s and and throughout the 90s um iridium was always very hard to manufacture and it's because it's so dense and so brittle, it's very difficult to get it to, to weld onto the uh, electrode tip. And uh, what Denso did, and we had an advantage uh, back in the late 90s because we actually manufacture our own robots. So we were able to design the robots and then design the process to allow for this 360-degree robotic laser welding uh, process, which which really allows us to uh, to affix that you know very small brittle tip onto the uh, the, the center electrode. So that, that's a, a big advantage for us. And, and now you know years later we're we're still using the same uh, technology, this robotic laser welding, 
and you know, Iridium has become mainstream for really almost uh, almost everybody out there now. The, the robotic welding, and you know, for anybody out there that hasn't, just go get an just go get a Denso Iridium TT, a twin tip spark plug, and just look at it. It looks so it, it's so amazing the way it's manufactured. You're you almost you almost don't want to put it in the car. <laughs> for, for, you know, it's it's really incredible. Um, how long do Iridium plugs last on average? Is there a, is there a safe guesstimate? Well, uh, the nano e iridium types, uh, they're spec down a little bit, and uh, they last between about fifty to eighty thousand on the high end uh, before misfiring begins to occur. Uh, on the other hand, the Denzel Iridium TT plugs last over 100,000 miles. This is more of, a, of an OE type of expectation. And uh, this actually means you get you know, consistently better performance from the beginning to the end of the plug's life. So it's, it's really just consistent throughout the, the life of the plug. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Ron Anini in the car doctor. We're, we've got Matt Eaton from Denso. He's a product manager. We're talking spark plugs today. Matt, what about the, you know, there's, there's got to be a value proposition here. I mean, when it comes time to change your plugs, if, you're, if you don't have iridiums, is it a good idea? Is it a, is it a good value to upgrade to iridium plugs? Yeah, actually, I, I usually explain it uh, kind of like this. You know, even if you don't care about, you know, increasing your horsepower or torque, um, the gas savings alone covers the additional cost uh, over the conventional plug. So you're, you're going to get 3 to 4% better fuel economy on average. And, you know, we've seen over 8% on some vehicles. Um, so there could be a very significant savings, and this savings extends, you know, over the entire 100,000-mile life of the plug, and that really adds up. Now, I know on some of the Denso plugs, and I think the Iridiums in particular, there's something special about the threads. Is there not that helps with removal, or is, am I remembering something incorrectly? Well, they come uh, pre-lubricated from the factory. Right. Yes, that's, that's what correct. it is. Yeah, that's what it is. So, you know, for that person that's... And I'm not one to let spark plugs go to the limit. If they say 120, I say change them at 100. If they say 100, I say change them in the 85, 90 percentile. Because those original plugs, uh, obviously they're not denso, or they may not be denso. There might be an issue with removal, so it's better to get them out and get in something like a denso with a with a lube thread, which will aid in removal the next 100,000 miles. Fair statement? Yes, absolutely. Fair okay. statement. Hey, Matt, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time today. You've cleared up a lot of the mystery. You know, the listeners have been writing in with a lot of these questions, and that's where um, I'm getting my questions from for you today. Um, is there a place the listeners can go for more information somewhere on the web? Yeah, uh, denzott.com, and, uh, of course, we're uh, available at many of the major retailers, so their websites are also uh, good uh, sources of information. And also, I believe if they go to denzott.com, um, there's a tech support, isn't there a tech support button or tab there somewhere they can, if they have questions, they can call up and ask or, or, or send an email or yes, something? Yes, there is a tech hotline yeah, as well. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. All right. Hey, Matt, as always, sir, a great pleasure, and uh, we want to thank you for taking time. And, well, no, uh, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. You take good care. I'm Ron in the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Once again, I want to thank Matt Eaton and the folks over at Denso for taking the time to stop by today and talk to us about spark plugs. Always a pleasure 
and uh, we appreciate their products and efforts out in the shop. Denso makes a great product, absolutely. Let's get over back to the busy phone lines at 855-560-9900. Walt in Hawaii. Walter, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, hi. I, I received a uh, gift of a 2003 Dodge van, or Chrysler van, I guess it is. Okay. And it's been sitting for six months. It was only started once during that period of time and moved about 30 feet. And I have kind of a two-part question. One is, what should I do before I start it? And the other one would be, what should I do after I get it? Uh, let me ask you this, Walt. What you know? How old is the oil change in the car? If you look, is there a sticker? Does it does it give you any indica- indication of when it was changed last? Yes, it was changed uh, about seven months ago. Okay, then you know, and and it's been started once, maybe in the last three months, out of the six that it sat. Uh, well, with four months, it was started and it ran for maybe I don't know five or six minutes okay. to move it. You know, the biggest thing, the the biggest issue we're going to have is number one, gasoline. Gasoline tends to lose its pop after they tell us now forty-five to sixty days. Gasoline tends to lose its fizzle, so okay. it, it'll still work and it should start the car, but it's not going to run as well. So you know that's something to be mindful of. How full of a tank of fuel is it? Uh, right now, it looks like it's about three quarters of a tank. Okay, so you've got a little bit to do to to run it and 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 get it squared away and cleaned out. That's number one. Uh, number two, I would be concerned about brakes and brake rotors. Uh, let's face it, you're you're always near the water in Hawaii, and um, you know it's it's depending upon where it was parked and what the environment is. I'm sure there's some rust issues with the brake rotors and probably the brake drums. So, you know, you can't judge that until after you drive it. And I would tell you, you know, first thing you've got to do is take it for a ride. And once you get it started, and how do the brakes feel? There's probably going to be some crunching going on and, you know, a little bit of a roughness to the pedal and a little bit of a pulsation to the pedal. And you have to see how things smooth out. You may end up having to resurface, you know, rotors or replacing rotors and, you know, changing brake drums and things like that. Uh, but you can't okay. you can't make that determination until after you get it started. As far as just starting it, Walter, you know, three four months since its last start isn't that long. You know, you can do this one of two ways. You could disable something so that it would just crank and not start. Maybe find a way. Maybe find the fuel pump fuse and, and disable it and crank it and just let it run till it builds up oil pressure. Truthfully, I just start it. At, at, okay. at, at this point in stage, I would just start it and let it warm up completely, obviously making sure coolant level is good before you start it. Uh, you know, And then once you're done, once you get it to run, I would change all the fluids as far as engine oil and then look through the rest of the history. When was coolant done last? When was trans done last? The, the biggest danger here is condensation and moisture from sitting so that's our that's our number one concern in hawaii i don't know how much humidity you've got um as compared to the rest of the country i mean probably a fair amount being surrounded by water but you know it's just you've got to consider environment on where it was stored i don't know exactly where it is in hawaii is it you know an inner part of a city or in a parking garage or is it out on the beach somewhere um you know so that's just something to consider it's actually Uh, out in the country okay then all the better and horses, people don't think of Hawaii about. Right, yeah, right, right, right. Oh, yeah, I'm, I know, I I see it, you know, I, I see it when I, you know, see pictures of Hawaii. It's not all sand and beaches and, and everything else. Um, so I'm just concerned about fluids. Do you have any service history on the car? 
The only history I have is being told that it was well-maintained. Okay. Well, yeah, and you know... I you know you know Walt you know how many times a week I hear that and you wonder what's the uh, what's the definition of well maintained um, exactly you know so what's everybody's what's everybody's perspective there's a couple of things I would do just you know let's baseline it and take care of it how many miles are on it twenty six thousand right so this is a real low mileage this is a this is a thirteen year old Chrysler minivan with a two four uh, dual overhead cam motor this is the Mitsu motor um, if memory serves me correct. And what I would be doing is I would be thinking about, okay, it's mine. How am I going to maintain it? All right? A couple of things. I would do a carbon cleaning. All right? Easiest way is get out to fuelprocomplete.com, fuelprocomplete.com, and see how they do it with the Motormatic Fuel Pro Complete Fuel System Cleaner. And I would do a fuel system cleaning to this. And you is that a do-it-yourself project? Yep, that's that a, that, that is clearly easily a do-it-yourself project. Okay, got that. All right, and I would probably I would I would probably get that kit and do it. You know, I would I would use the fuel additive before I started because it'll help with the fuel that's in the tank. I would do a fuelprocomplete.com. Then I would run down to my local O'Reilly Auto Parts, grab myself a Wix oil filter, a Wix air filter, get some Pennzoil synthetic while I'm down there. Make an oil change out of it. Put an air filter in it. Now you've baselined it. You kind of know where you're at. Change the trans fluid. Maybe do a brake fluid flush. Then you can do your brake inspection. Check the tires. Check them for dry rot. Check tire pressure. You want to set those. But the number one most important thing is get it to run. Let it stabilize for a good 8 to 10 minutes. Bring its temperature up. Shut it off. Check coolant level once it cools down. Check your oil level. Take it for a ride. How do the brakes feel? And go from there. Walt, if you need more information, send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. And if you ever want us to do a remote, we're open to Hawaii. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor here. Great hour, as always. We enjoy talking to each and every one of you and answering your car questions. You can find more information about this radio show, once again, at cardoctorshow.com with all sorts of ways to the various links to take podcasts and also podcasts at our website. And um, you can do that and take us with you on any device that you wish, however you wish. Uh, let me point out and remind you once again, the annual AASP New Jersey, the 39th annual AASP, the Automotive Trade Show, if you're an automotive professional and you're going to be in the New York City area, get out to the Meadowlands Exposition Center the weekend of March 18th, March 18th through Sunday, March 20th. And uh, you'll find all sorts of things out there to gain industry knowledge and information on the latest procedures and processes to be part of this industry. Also, keep in mind the car doctor is going to be there. We're going to be there doing this radio show live, a live broadcast from the sh- from the floor show of the Meadowlands Exposition Center in Secaucus, New Jersey. So we look forward to seeing all of our automotive professionals out there and saying hey and hanging out and um, answering questions and doing all kinds of the great stuff that we get to do um, here on radio. We enjoy talking to each and every one of you. We enjoy it more when we're out there live on remote. Um, real quick question. Someone was talking to me this week. Uh, spring's around the corner. And um, it seems like it's coming a lot faster, and they're talking about bringing out their collector car, and they were looking for car insurance. And one of the things they asked me was, um, you know, what about appraised value or stated value? 
And, you know, what sort of information is there on the subject? Get out to Grundy.com, and I thought I would answer it here on air because everybody's probably bringing out their collectible car right now this time of year, at least starting to think about it. We've got about two months to go. But you want to be sure, you want to think about, um, you know, stated value. You want to think about what kind of coverage. You want to think about somebody that's, you know, you don't want to have a problem when that collector car has an issue, whether it be something that it breaks down on the road and you need road service to get picked up or whether it gets scratched in the garage because a broom falls off the pegboard in the garage and, you know, oops, uh, you want somebody that's going to give the car complete coverage. And, and one last thing I said to the person, I'll say it to each and every one of you, is if you've got a collectible car and you're looking to take care of it, don't wait till the car is done. You know, once you start that restoration, you could be a year away, that car still has some value. Trust me, a 68 Camaro in restoration is worth quite a bit of money, depending upon what you're doing to it. So you want to get out to Grundy.com, read more about collectible car insurance, and uh, take care of your ride so it can take care of you, not to sound cliche. Hey, that about does it for this hour. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor reminding you the mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless.